Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Well, hello, everybody. It's glad, we're so glad to welcome you all back. Great to see you. And thanks again for all of you who are watching online. And thank you for sharing each of these services uh, with your friends and family through Facebook. Uh, it's been amazing that during this time of a quarantine, how uh, the message of the gospel has gone out. I mean, tens of thousands of people tune into these services. That's because you've shared uh, these services with your family and friends. And it's a form of witnessing. And we've seen so many people whose lives have been changed. And God has received so much glory through this experience. And so thank you for doing that and welcome. We're glad you're back. It's good to see all of you back. And uh, I, I hadn't gotten used to this, no handshaking, no... Look, if, if you want to shake my hand or hug me, I am, I am good with that, right? I do... I, 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 if you don't, I'm good with that too. I'm fine. This is, this is not a no-touch zone, just so you know. I'm, I'm okay with all that. So uh, I'm glad you're, you're back with us. We're in a new series called Renew. And uh, I hope it will be a series that will challenge you uh, to a new level of living. I hope you'll come out of this time of quarantine, uh, this time of uh, incredible uncertainty in our country, and I hope you'll come out of this stronger, more determined uh, to allow your life to make a difference in the lives of other people. I know this, God has a plan. He has a purpose. God does, listen, God does everything with purpose. He does everything for purpose. He does everything on purpose. He is intentional. And God can take anything, anything, and make it work out for your good and for his glory. And I am convinced this morning that's what he wants to do in our life. And the first message I want to bring to you in this new series called Renew is simply this, renew your mind. Renew your mind. I'm convinced this morning that nothing in your life will continuously or will effectively change until you change your thinking. Our minds are the most powerful thing God ever blessed us with. They tell me that our mind has a million different sensory receptors that allow us to discern, you know, touch and taste and smell. You hear the baby crying and you say, I hear the baby crying. You go in there, you, you see the baby in the crib, you go over, you touch the baby, you pick the baby up, you smell the baby, and all of a sudden you determine what if, if anything is wrong with the baby. Well, that's because all of those receptors in your brain are just firing and, and they're enabling you to make an assessment, and to call for action. So that's part of the power of your mind. And then I'm told that there are over, get this, uh, there are over 10 billion uh, receptors that are at work in our imagination. As powerful as these sensory receptors are, your imagination is even more powerful. That's why right where you're sitting or right where you're watching in your living room, you can close your eyes and imagine you're on the beach in Maui. Isn't that wonderful? Would you just join me there for a moment? You're right there on the beach and all you're enjoying the sunshine, you're hearing the surf, you're just enjoying everything. It's just a beautiful scene. There's nothing like it in the world till you open your eyes and you're back in Fort Worth. You're, you're in your pajamas in your living room right on that sofa. But the reality is in your mind you can escape because your mind is so powerful. 
Listen, no composer ever wrote a piece of music that they first of all did not hear that music playing in their head. No artist ever created art that first of all they couldn't envision the art in their mind. Your mind is powerful, and this is the thing you need to know. You and I will go in the direction of our minds. You're here, you're watching because you thought yourself to be here, and you thought that you would first watch. You're wearing what you're wearing, or those of you watching online not wearing what you're wearing, because you thought yourself there. You're going to eat what you eat in a little while because you will think yourself there first. In other words, we will go in the direction of our minds. That's, so, that's why it's so important that every now and then we hit the pause button on our, on our lives and we stop to think about what we think about. The late, great Zig Ziglar says most of us need to check up from the neck up. We need to evaluate the stinking thinking because all of us have trouble and we all of us have struggle. And I'm telling you that the battle is in the mind. You say what you say because you think what you think. You do what you do because you think what you think. If you want to change the way you talk, change the way you think. If you want to change the way you act, change the way you think. It's not rocket science. Everything happens as a result of our thoughts. And so I want to challenge you again this morning, this idea of renewing our minds. I said a moment ago, your mind is the strongest thing God has gifted you with. Well, if that's true, and I believe it is, then if an, an enemy is going to subdue you, wouldn't the enemy try to attack you at the point of your strength? If you're going to subdue an animal, if you're going to neutralize an animal, you go after it, you deal with its fangs, or you deal with its bite, or you deal with its kick. You know, if I can't subdue this animal at the point of its strength, I can't control this animal. And we have an enemy, the Bible says, John 10, 10, who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and his strategy is simply this, to neutralize you at the point of your strength. And the point of your strength is your thinking. It is so significant. In fact, in Proverbs 23, 4, Solomon wrote, as a person thinks in their heart, so will they be. When you think about that, what Solomon was saying is we're not what we think we are, but what we think we are. So what do you think about? Have you ever thought about it? <laughs> what is the preponderance of your thoughts? How does your mind go? How is the drift, the flow of your mind? Do you actively try to consider the things that you concentrate on and you think about? If not, you should. Because again, if you're going to live a purposeful life, if you're going to live a powerful life, you need to live a life that is concentrated and you need to live a life that gives attention to the things that we think about. So our minds are so significant, our minds are important. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, the Bible says our enemy, get this, our enemy tries to blind the mind. To blind the mind? Can the mind see? You ever hear the expression, my mind's eye? My mind's eye? Well, the idea says the enemy tries to blind the mind. He doesn't want you to see clearly. He doesn't want you to discern is the idea. So not only will the enemy try to bind, blind your mind, he'll bind your mind. He'll get you to restrict your mind instead of expanding your mind. And th those are the tactics of the enemy because the battle is in your mind. In fact, when the Apostle Paul was writing to the Christ followers at Ephesus, he was challenging them to raise the bar in how they were living their life. Jesus said to his followers, he said, By this shall all men know you are my disciples. 
What is the one qualifier that, that really distinguishes someone who says they know Jesus from someone who doesn't? Jesus said it like this, by, all, by this shall all men know you are my disciples. Here it is, if you love one another. How you love one another and how you treat each other is a defining quality concerning your relationship with God. John went on to say that if you hate your brother whom you've seen and say you love God, he says the truth isn't in you. He said you're lying to yourself. The idea is you cannot love God and not love your neighbor. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to have some fallout from time to time. That doesn't mean you're not going to have some problems with people from time. You're going to have that. Jesus even said it's not possible to live life without offenses. You're going to, be, you're going to get offended. You're going to live with offense. It's just going to happen. Now, don't be easily offended. <laughs> don't go around with your little feelings on your shoulders. You ever met anybody like that? My dad used to say, if you don't want your little feelings hurt, don't have little feelings. You know, be bigger than that. But I'm just suggesting that Jesus said, it's not possible to live life and not have conflict with people from time to time. It's going to happen. He said we're to love everybody. He didn't necessarily say you have to like everybody. But the point is that you and I are called to a higher standard. And Paul was challenging these Christ followers, raise the bar in how you live your life. And then he tells them how to do it. In Ephesians 4.22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Now get the imagery. He's using a, a metaphor here. He's, he's using this old nature, new nature, like putting on clothes, like taking off an old garment and putting on a new garment. He's saying, take off this old garment, take off this former way of life, this old self, I would say your old nature, and instead understand this old nature is being corrupted by deceitful desires. You and I, listen, everybody watching online, we all have an old nature. We were born with it. David said, in sin, my mother conceived me. We were born with a sin nature. We have a sinful predisposition. We have a natural propensity, a natural proclivity to sin. I don't know about you, I sin effortlessly. Do you? Do you struggle with sinning? I don't have a problem with that. I mean, I, no one has to teach you how to sin. Sinning 101, today in the classroom four. We're gonna try to teach you because no one really knows how to, no, we know how to, what you have to do is have a classroom 101 about how not to sin. Help a brother. I mean, help me not do this, right? Solomon said it's a natural for a person to sin as it is for the sparks of a fly, fire to fly upward, effortlessly. It's in our old nature. We're born with this natural ability to do that which was wrong. And Paul is, is acknowledging the fact that this old nature is constantly being corrupted because of deceitful desire. We have a sensual side. We have a selfish side. We have a side of our nature that says, get all you can, can all you get, set on the lid and spoil the rest. <laughs> I mean, we have that nature. It's there. I don't care how spiritual you are or how spiritual you aren't. You have that sinful nature. But when you connect with your creator, you also have a new nature. Let's read on. He says, put this off in verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your minds, which is what I'm talking about. And 24, he says, put on the new self. Notice the distinction. This one is created to be like God. I mean, the Bible says in Acts 4, they were called Christ followers. They were called followers of Christ. They were called Christians. You know why they called them Christians? It wasn't a term that was meant to be complimentary. 
It was a derisive term in the first century. They called them Christians because what they were saying to them is, you're acting like that guy we crucified. And if you don't stop acting like him, the same thing that happened to him is going to happen to you. So it was a derisive term. Someone said, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? So it's important that we understand as a Christ follower, we are to live to a higher standard. And the standard is we're being conformed into the image of Christ. Remember Acts chapter 8, verse 28? Uh, All things work together for good to those who love God, those who are called to his purpose. But read 29. 29 talks about a process where he is conforming us into the image of his son. Sometimes to get us to look like Jesus, he has to take some things away from us. And sometimes to get us to look more like Jesus, he has to bring some things into our life. And so God is in a process, we're in a process, and he is working to create us into the image of of his son. And he said this new self is created to be like God. How? In true righteousness and holiness, meaning I live right and I live to a higher standard. So how is it, Paul, that we can effectively, successfully Put down the old nature, embrace the new nature. He gives us the answer. It's right in the middle of the two verses. It's the theme of my talk with you this morning. He says it happens in the renewal of your mind. When you change the way you think, everything else in your life will change. We hear a lot about change. Things need to change. People need to change. Let me tell you something. No one will change anything until they change their thinking. Everything about us changes when our minds change. The most dangerous thing can happen is you get your mind set with a certain way of thinking. You ever met anybody that's just subjective? I mean, just completely closed-minded. You cannot tell them anything. Listen, God, even God can't fill what's already full. I mean, just knock on that noggin and it's just hard as a rock. There's nothing going in there anymore. I mean, you should never get to a point. uh, 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 One of the great definitions of a leader is leaders are learners. If you're going to be an effective leader, you're constantly learning how to do it better. None of us know everything we need to know. I mean, I am certain of certain truths concerning God's word. But listen, I, I understand there's a lot of things I'm wrong about, and I'm trying to learn so that I can continue to grow. But there are people in our world who are subjective, who are closed minded, who have shut out any new ideas completely. And then there are people who are objective. They say, look, this is what I think. I could be wrong. You show me a different set of facts, I'll change my thinking to uh, align with the facts, right? I mean, you bring your uh, thesis, and they bring their antithesis, and then you have synthesis. You find where that middle ground can be, and you learn how to get along with people, right? And I'm just suggesting to you that one of the things that, that, that really will make the church more effective is when we change how we think about God, how, when we change how we think about ourselves, when we change how we think about our neighbor. It's a dangerous thing when a church closes off and gets closed-minded, just us four, no more, shut the door. <laughs> you become little conclaves for the completely convinced. And that is not what God put us on this earth to do. We are to go out and make a difference. We're to be a witness. We're to share our faith. We're to love the people Jesus gave his life for and died for. And let me tell you something, unless you change how you think, that never becomes a reality. Let me give you a couple of things to think about. We'll go home. Number one, consider this. There is a problem with changing your mind. And the problem of changing our minds is, 
what I said a moment ago, we are born with a mindset. Our mind has a default setting. And the default setting doesn't really include God in its way of thinking. We call it an old nature. And out of that old nature comes a style of living and thinking that, that in biblical terms, they called it worldliness. Um, we would call it, in our, to help you understand the term worldliness, we would call it secularism. Secularism is a system that does not consider God in its thinking. We live in a secular society. All that means is it's a society that makes decisions not based on God, but based on their ability to reason in their own mind about what they should do or what they should not do. Secularism. And I'm saying that is rooted in our old nature. That's why it's prominent in society. And if you're not careful as a Christ follower, when you have the Holy Spirit living within you and you now have a new nature, if you're not careful and you don't renew your mind, your mind automatically resets and it resets to the old nature and then the old nature is secularism. And so you begin to make decisions as though God doesn't exist. You're not, you're not a theoretical atheist, you're a practical atheist. A theoretical atheist has come to the conclusion that there is no God. A practical atheist just lives as though there's no God. See the difference? And sometimes people who know God can live like he doesn't exist. And so I'm suggesting to you that this thinking has to change. We have to be renewed or we'll live our lives according to the default setting, which is negative, sensual, selfish. It is rooted in the natural mind. And it's difficult to do. Listen to what Paul wrote in Romans 8, verse 6. He said, now get the phrasing, the mindset. The mindset on the flesh is death. Now he's drawing a distinction. Over here is the natural mind. Over here is the mind in the old nature. And he calls it a mindset. You and I have a mindset that's still set in that old nature. So in the very same verse, he says, but in contradistinction to that, the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Over here's life, over here's death. Over here's turmoil, over here's peace. Over here's my old nature, over here's my new nature. And which nature is going to win? Let me tell you, it's the nature you nurture. Which is the nature that you give most attention to? If it's the old nature, sensual, selfish, death. Is it the new nature that is spiritual, focused on God, loving others, right? The nature you nurture is a nature that will dominate your thinking and will dominate your life. And so there's a problem because it involves a daily effort of control. Both of these are warring against each other. Both of these are fighting for one another. In fact, uh, that's why the Bible says in Ephesians 6 verse 17, Paul said, take the helmet of salvation, right? Part of the armor that we wear in spiritual warfare. Part of it is the helmet of salvation. Why? He's saying, protect your head. Man, the enemy wants to do a headshot. He wants to take you out. He wants to do the headshot. So he's saying, put on the helmet of salvation. Affect your noggin. <laughs> Be careful with the thoughts that you think, because again, you go in the direction of your thoughts. Remember, as you think, so will you be. So it's a problem. It's not easy. It's something that has to be done, as we're going to see every day, which is my next thought. There's a process of changing your mind. This putting off of the old nature while putting on the new nature is a daily, listen, a daily process. And listen, the motivation cannot strictly be emotional. Emotional. 
I don't know if I told you or if I told the other service, when you're doing three, sometimes I can't remember, so if I'm repeating myself, just mark it up that I didn't have my medication, and so pray for me right now. There is what is called extrinsic motivation. Did I cover that with you guys? Must have been the ninth there, okay. There's extrinsic, which is external, right? There's an extrinsic motive. That's where you're motivated to win a prize, uh, to win a trophy, uh, for a raise. That's extrinsic, and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, God uses extrinsic motivation. He promises his kids rewards. Give and it will be given to you, he says. In other words, if you do the right things, good things happen. So there's extrinsic motivation. Uh, conversely, in extrinsic motivation, sometimes you're motivated out of fear. If you don't do this, this bad thing's going to happen. If you don't do this, right? So God uses and people use extrinsic motivation. Then there's intrinsic motivation, which is motivation from within. And studies have shown that is the most powerful motivation because it's the motivation that comes from within your own mind. That's when it's not something externally that is, uh, uh, that is motivating you to do what you do. It's coming from your mind. It's coming from your heart. It's coming from your core, from your soul. You do what you do because you know this is the right thing to do. And so whenever I am making a decision concerning putting off my old nature, putting on my new nature, it can't, listen, it can't be a, an emotional decision. And I've made those before, and you probably have too. Uh, you bought things before emotionally, you know, you get all wrapped up in, I gotta have that, I'm gonna have that right, I don't have the money for it, I don't, you know, you buy things you don't need with money you don't have to impress people you don't know, we've all done that. And so you make an emotional decision, uh, and sometimes we, we don't make decisions out of emotion. I'm not feeling it. I just don't feel like that today. Uh, very few people wake up in the morning feeling like going to school or going to work or going to exercise. Now, there's some of you crazy people out there that, are, that are love to exercise. But most people, that's not how they roll. You don't make it, listen, you don't make the decision to do the right thing out of a sense of emotion. You do it because of discipline, right? Now, what happens is when you're disciplined to make the right decision, the emotion will follow it. How many times have you done something you didn't feel like doing, but you did it, and later you said, I'm so glad I did that. I feel so much better now that I did, Right? So that's how that works. My point is, Paul is dealing with this. This is not an emotional decision to put off the old nature, put on the new nature, no emotion to it. It's a discipline that we have to incorporate every day. He picks up on it in Romans chapter 12 when he says, listen, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, again, he's doing this contrast. He's saying one of two things will inevitably happen to everybody. Either if you don't renew your mind, you will then be conformed to the image of the world. Now, what does that mean? Conform just means to be pressed into the mold of. Pressed into the mold of. When you are conformed, think about silly putty, you are pressed into the mold of whatever you are pressing it into, right? And the mold of this world is I'm back to secularism. You get conformed to a system that does not include God. So here's what it looks like. You start making decisions you didn't pray about. You start doing things that you really didn't seek counsel on. And all of a sudden, man, you go kicking down doors God didn't open, and you end up in rooms you didn't want to be in. (laughs) You're getting conformed into the image of the world. But he says, don't let that happen to you, but instead, be transformed. It's a beautiful word. We get our word metamorphosis from that word. Your kids have uh, these little... uh, uh, transformers around the house, little cars that morph into 
you know, maybe a little robot character. It's, they've been transformed. They're transformers. That's the idea. It's the word, metamorphosis. It's when the caterpillar goes into the cocoon and emerges as the butterfly. Metamorphosis is when the inner nature comes outward. You were a butterfly while you were a worm, but until you got morphed, no one knew it. You can be a secret disciple of Jesus, but until you actually get morphed, until what's inside of you comes out of you, no one will really know it. And when you start loving people as he loved them and you treat others as Jesus treated others, you know what's happening? That inner nature that is Jesus starts being lived out in your life. You're getting metamorphosized. You're being transformed. And he says it happens in your mind. And the verse right before that, which really goes to this daily process, he says, offer up your bodies living sacrifices. Isn't that an interesting word picture? Everybody in that day was familiar with the sacrifice. You laid it on the altar. Uh, you took the life of the sacrifice, and then you burnt the sacrifice. It's an offering to God. A living sacrifice is different. A living sacrifice. And I've told you the problem with the living sacrifice is it keeps crawling off the altar. You put it up there. You ever settle something at church on Sunday or you're sitting at home and you finally come to terms, this is what I'm going to do to fix my life. I know this is wrong. I'm going to fix it. And within 24 hours, you're doing the very thing that you said you wouldn't do 24 hours earlier. Well, you're in good company. When you read Romans 7, Paul talks about that struggle. The thing that I would do is not the thing that I end up doing. I wished I could do the thing that I want to do, but I end up doing the thing that I don't want to do. And then you say, oh, oh miserable man that I am. I ended up doing the thing I wish I didn't do. I'm saying what I wish I didn't say. I wish I could roll that back. I wish I'd never done it. I wish I'd never said it. We've all been there. We've all done that. And I'm just suggesting to you, this thing is a battle we fight every day. So wake up every morning saying, God, you've given me life. I know this life has purpose, so I want to partner with you. Help me to be discerning at where you're at work so that I can make a difference in the lives of other people. It's not a one and done. You don't just say, I'm going to renew my mind, boom, nailed it, done with it. It's every day you live. It involves spiritual warfare. Again, the enemy is attacking your mind. Let me say something about your enemy. He is relentless. He doesn't give up. He doesn't give in. He doesn't give out. He is after you. He'll attack you when you're the weakest and the most vulnerable. So guard your mind. Listen to what Paul said in Colossians 3, 2, set your mind. Get that term, here's a mindset. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. You know what I get from that? Be careful what you allow to go through your eye gate and your ear gate. The portals of your eyes and the portals of your ears. Be careful, be, be very careful, be very focused on what you allow. Uh, in other words, be proactive. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, he says, bring any wayward thought into captivity. Man, the minute you find your mind drifting, and by the way, if you've ever tried to bring a boat to the dock, it requires some level of skill. What I do know about bringing a boat to the dock is if you cut the power too early, you won't get there <laughs> because a boat doesn't naturally drift to where it's supposed to go. You don't just kill the power in the middle of the lake and think you're going to drift to the trailer. If you're going to be successful in that, you have to be intentional. You have to be focused. And I'm just saying our minds are that way. It's no wonder we get in trouble because we just let our minds drift, and they never drift in the right direction. Your mind won't drift to the trailer. <laughs> your mind is going to drift the other way. And like I said when we started this, you're going to go in the direction of your mind, and so if your mind is drifting, your life is going to drift too. 
So you have to reel that in. You have to be very proactive in the way that you think. That's why I've told you, it's poss- it is possible to have a saved soul and a lost mind. You ever see someone who know, you know they know Jesus, but they just said some crazy stuff. They did something incredibly dumb. And, and invariably you'll say, how could anyone who's a Christian do that? Just like, oh, I'm above all that. Yeah. Well, I've told you before, man, all that thing that's in your old nature that you used to do before you knew Jesus and had a new nature, all that stuff's still in there. You knew how to dog cuss somebody before you met Jesus. You still cuss them out now. Don't look so pious at me. You knew how to roll a joint before you knew Jesus. You still know how to roll a joint. I'm saying all that's still there. I didn't get it supernaturally erased. Are you kidding me? Come on, man. You still know how to do that. It's in your nature. It's just which nature is going to win? Again, the nature you nurture. So you guard your mind. You guard your thoughts. You be proactive. You be focused. And if you do that, here's my last point, you'll see the power of changing your mind, the benefit of it. Listen, when you change your mind, everything in your life changes. You can change your clothes, you can change your friends, you can change your house, you can change your spouse, you can change your job, you can change everything, but nothing changes till you change your mind. When you think about how God created all things, how he created life, have you ever thought about it? We came into this world, are you ready for this? Head first. That's how babies are born, head first. Most of them, head first. If you're going to go from one environment into the next, from one level of effectiveness into the next, you go head first. You go with your mind. You go with your thoughts. And when your mind is right, your life will be right. Let me give you this and we'll go. The last series I concluded called Exile. I dealt with several characters who were in exile and God did something significant in their life and brought them out of exile and used them to a tremendous degree. I talked about Ruth who met Naomi in Moab. And because of the difference that Ruth saw in Naomi's life, Ruth follows Naomi. She meets God. She becomes in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Ruth's life changed. You know what happened that changed Ruth's life? She changed her mind. There was a point in her life when she said, I'm not going to stay and follow the God of the Moabs. I'm going to go and follow the God of Naomi. She changed her mind. You remember when Elijah was in the cave at Horeb running from Jezebel who had threatened to kill him? He had forgotten God's favor on Mount Carmel, and now he's running in fear. He's hiding. What's going to become of me now? And what happened to him when God appeared to him and God said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing, man? What's going on with you? I was with you on Mount Carmel. I'm not going to forsake you now. The God of yesterday is the God of today. If God brought you through this all the way to this point, you think he's going to forget you now? The God that gave you that last job can give you that next job. The God that gave you that last relationship can bless you in a new relationship. The God that did something yesterday is able to do things. So what do you need? He's able. And the light comes on in the cave, and Elijah realizes that, and he walks out of the cave, and God uses him in an incredible way. What happened to Elijah in Horeb? He changed his mind. David had a dullum. David goes into the cave. He's running from Saul. He's fearing for his life. He had forgotten. God had taken care of him against Goliath. Fear will cause you to forget. He'd forgotten all about that. And all of a sudden, man, he has this moment in the cave when he realizes, what am I doing here? What was I thinking? He walks out of that cave and it isn't long until he becomes the next king of Israel. What happened to him? 
he changed his mind. You see the prodigal son, you remember the prodigal son ends up wasting his living, wasting his money in a pig pen. And the difference that came in his life was that when he came to himself, he said, what am I doing here? He returned to his father and the father restored him. What happened to the prodigal? Changed his mind. Can I tell you the common denominator with all those people? None of their circumstances changed. None of them changed. What changed was their mind. And so many times we focus on our circumstance. Oh, God, if you'll just change this. God, if you can just, God, if you'll change her, child, God, change him. God, you know. And we put all of our focus and all of our prayer. And I'm not saying you shouldn't pray about those things, but I'm saying if that's the focus of your prayer, then you need to hit the pause button and say, God, change me. God, change me. Help me to change my mind. What I realize is God didn't die for my circumstance. He died for me. God is interested in me. He's interested in you. And you can change your life, and we can change this world if we're willing to change our mind. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that never returns void, that always accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. And Father, I pray you'll challenge our thinking, that we'll think more like you would have us to think, relying on the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit, on real spiritual discernment before we say something or before we do something. Father, help those of us who know you that have the new nature to realize it's going to be a battle every day to nurture the right nature. And Lord, for my friends who are in this room or those who are watching who've never received you as Savior, they're still battling with the only nature they know, and that's their old nature. I pray now you'll give them the courage to swallow their pride and humble their heart and say, Lord Jesus, where I'm setting this moment with all that is in me, I want to know you as my Savior. With everything I now know about me, I trust all that I know about you. Forgive my sin, be a reality in me. Father, I pray you'll bless every family. Thank you for these amazing people who are here today. Bless them, give them a great week. Bless their kids. I pray you'll bless our nation. Bless all the turmoil that we're going through. We know you're in control, and I pray people will come to know you through all the experiences that they have in this life. Help our church to continue to be a shining light that shows the love of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the joy it is to know you and to make you known. In your name I pray, amen. Hey, thank all of you for being here this morning. Uh, I just want you to consider your all yourselves thoroughly hugged. Um, somebody said we need to come up with a, like a name tag that says I'm a handshaker, I'm a hugger, or a big red line that says stay away. So I don't know where you are with that, but uh, love one another is where we all need to be with that. But thank you for being here. Thank you for watching online. And again, thank you for sharing these services. It's touching the lives of literally thousands of people because of you. I look forward to seeing if you join me for that Bible study tomorrow night. We'll hang out for about half an hour and do that thing. And now I think Pastor Scott has a word for you. Thanks for watching. God bless you guys. Have a great day. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.